Tonight's reading is from Philippians 2, 12 to 30. Do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Timothy and Epaphroditus I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with not in the work of the gospel. Sorry, with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Zion. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to be our saviour. Thank you that he humbled himself and died for us. Please now help us to work out our salvation as you desire. Amen. 
I would be grateful if you could have that passage open in front of you. If you can get hold of the church Bible, please do so. It's Philippians chapter 2, and it's on page 1179 of the church Bibles. I notice we still haven't had a chance to replace the stuff we put on the screen with the slightly updated translations that we now have. So uh, I'm using the ones from the Bibles uh, in, in the church. And what I'm going to do is focus particularly on verses 12 to 16. I'll only be alluding very briefly to the rest of the passage at the end of the sermon. But in order to understand those passages, we first of all have to understand the context. And for that, just take a glance back to verse 5. Verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same, same mindset as Christ Jesus. And Paul, having said that, tells us what that mindset is. He he points out that although Jesus was God, he humbled himself. And he did that in two ways. First of all, by the simple act of becoming a human being. Uh, For us, being a human being isn't humble, it's just realism. Uh, But God becoming a human being? Just think about it. He humbled himself. But he didn't just humble himself in that way. He humbled himself by being obedient to God's plan for his life and being (laughs) obedient even though that meant dying on a cross. And what Paul says is that because of that, Jesus has now been exalted. Exalted so much that as he puts it here in verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The issue that he's addressing in today's passage is how we respond to that. In the light of all of that, as he puts it in verse 12, therefore, what should we do? Well, it's there in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In passing, just note that Paul expected people to obey his teaching. Uh, All the apostles did. They were very conscious of their God-given authority. Do you remember on one occasion Peter referred to Paul's letters as scripture? And such they are. And we need to remember that. And as Paul expected, we need to seek to obey the apostolic teaching. That's a general point that's almost in the margins for now. Let's go on to the substance of verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Note it does not say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. No, the New Testament is absolutely clear. There is no point whatsoever in working for our salvation. We can't achieve it. I could give you any number of quotes to prove that, but let's try this from Romans 3.20. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. No one's going to be accepted by God by what we do, for the very simple reason that as soon as we observe God's commandments, we'll realize we haven't met them, and nor will we meet them perfectly in the future either. Now that would be really bad news 
but for the fact that there's another way. And I've quoted, I think, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, more than any other passage in the Bible. Uh, By grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. There's this other way, by faith. Do come in. This other way, by, by grace, through faith to God. And what's the result of that? Well, if we have that faith, we are, as Paul puts it, in Christ. And what does he say about that? Again from Romans, Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want to get that firmly there. This is not about working for our salvation. So what is it about? It's about working out our salvation. It's about us as people who are in Christ working out, working through the implications of that in our lives, working through the consequence of it, seeking to live our lives in a manner that is appropriate and proper for those who have been saved through faith. That's what it's all about. But of course you may say, well, okay, that's good as a generality, but what does that comprise? I can't give you a full answer to that this morning, this evening, because a fair chunk of the New Testament is devoted to answering that very question. In fact, it's quite interesting. If you look at Paul's letters, he very often starts off with the great truths about Christ and then goes on to what we should do to work out those truths in our life. Think about Romans 1 to 11, all those great truths. 12 to 15, what are we going to do about it? Ephesians 1 to 4, all those great truths. 5 and 6, What are we going to do about it? We need to work out these things in our own lives. But I will say a few very general things by way of of guidance. And by the way, like a lot else in this sermon, none of this is new. In fact, I'd say every verse I'm about to quote, I myself have used in sermons over the course of the last couple of years. But these things are so important, it's worth reminding ourselves about them. Indeed, memorising them, if at all possible. So, just three things. Uh, First of all, this working out of our salvation means we should seek to expel wrongdoing and sin from our lives, put it to death, to use the expression used by Paul, and in place of it, seek to devote ourselves to pursuing righteousness. This is what Paul says uh, in Romans chapter 6. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Note that, dead to sin, alive to Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so as to obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. If nothing else, that's part of working out our own salvation, isn't it? Working on eliminating sin and offering ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. And that points to the second thing. We need to remember that we are servants of Jesus. 
Do you remember what Paul says in Colossians 3.23? He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as serving the Lord, not human masters. Whatever we do, we should do it as servants of Jesus, yeah? Whatever we do, he was actually talking to slaves at the time, just talking about everyday lives. Whatever we do, we should be serving Jesus. And of course that means obeying what he says. Which brings me to the third point, which is addressing the question, how do we know what he wants of us? Now you may think that's a blindingly obvious question. You may say, well, yeah, of course, well, we we read the Bible, particularly we read the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, that kind of thing. And of course, that's a good answer. We do need to do that. But there's, there's more to it than that. You see, the danger, if we just leave it at that, is that we end up with a list of do's and don'ts. In short, we may fall into the trap of the Pharisees. Now, of course, there are a lot of do's and don'ts, and we shouldn't ignore those. We shouldn't go to the other extreme and forget that. But we're called upon to do something more profound. We're called upon to be transformed. We're called upon to have the same way of thinking as Jesus, to have our attitudes conformed to Jesus. Back in verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Well, that's a particular example of a general principle. We should be aligning our whole selves to Christ. Uh, A good uh, example of that comes again from Romans, Romans 12, verse 1. Perhaps I've quoted this more often than the Ephesians passage on reflection. This is Romans 12, verse 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So that's the point I made a moment ago. We've got to remember we are servants of God, servants of Jesus, And working out our salvation involves remembering that and seeking to put it into practice. But it goes on. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. We want to know what being a servant of God is, a servant of Jesus. We want to know how to obey Jesus, what his will is. Yes, of course, we should be reading this, but not just to pick up specific things, 600 commands of things to do and 500 not, but to transform our whole way of thinking, to transform our whole worldview, transform our whole attitudes. That's why we want to read the whole Bible to pray through the whole Bible, etc. Does that sound like hard work? It may do. And and that's because it is hard work. Paul says, work. Work out your salvation. And did you notice, he says, with fear and trembling. This is a serious business. Now, we need to be careful to get an appropriate balance, to keep various truths in our minds at once. This is not talking about having a craven fear as before a sort of capricious despot 
God is not a capricious despot. But we do need to remember who he is. God's not like us. God is the creator of everything that is. He's eternal. He's omnipotent, omniscient. He is the one who could quite justly have condemned us to death. But he hasn't. By his grace, he has saved us. He has forgiven us. We we need to to have that in mind and respond by recognising that imposes on us an extraordinary duty to do the things that we've just been talking about, to serve God in grateful thanks. So this is a serious business. Serious, but we mustn't view it as something we sort of screw ourselves up to in grim determination, and it's going to be horrible, but we'd better do it. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Look, go back to chapter 1 when, when you get home, or look at verses 17 and 18. He wanted the Philippians, and God wants us, to have joy, and he expects that we will have joy. We need to think about what God has done and rejoice in it. And we need to remember one other thing. This is absolutely crucial. Go to verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This working out of our salvation is not something that we're bound to fail in, something that we just have to say, oh, well, I'll grimly go on, but can't do it. No. God's there helping us. God's there assisting us. Again, let's go back to Romans. This is what Paul says here. This is Romans 8, verse 9. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. That's quite dense, but let's tip it the other way up. What he's saying is, if we have come to Christ in faith, if we're in Christ, as he puts it, then God's given us his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And what's the consequence of that? Well, he goes on, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Oh yes, we will continue to experience our propensity for doing wrongdoing. Oh yes, we will have continually to go back to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, we do it every week, don't we, of course. That will go on, but the Spirit's in us, working, enabling us to work out uh, our salvation. We will be on the upward path. We won't be descending in a downward spiral. We will have God working within us. That's why Peter, this is 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3, that's why Peter said God, God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Now, isn't that encouraging? We can do it. When we, when we look at this, we should be serious. We should recognise that we have a serious task of working out our salvation. But 
God's right there with us as we do it. God doesn't leave us. God doesn't abandon us. God's right there with us. And consequently, our job is to use the means he gives us. There's at least one other sermon in there, but let's just remember, we should be reading God's word. We should be meditating on it, seeking to apply it to ourselves. We should be praying, asking that the Holy Spirit would illuminate his word, asking that he would apply it to us, asking that he would transform us, as is promised in Romans 12 verse 1. And then, in our everyday lives, we should be seeking to remember the presence of God, asking God to be right there with us in everyday situations, asking that he would guide us, asking that he would help us, asking, in other words, that he'd help that we work out, as we work out, our salvation. And then take a look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Before we look at that in detail, there's one thing that's implicit in this whole passage but isn't express, and it's worth noting. This passage is written to us collectively. Just imagine for a moment that this letter was in fact written to us here in St. John's rather than the Philippians. Uh, Let's imagine, in other words, that it began in verse 1 saying, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Blackheath, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Would that be written to me individually? Would it be written to each of you individually? No, of course it wouldn't. It would be written to us here in St. John's. And it is written to us here in St. John's. Of course... Each one of us needs to make sure we're doing that in our own lives. We each have our part to play. But this business of working out our salvation is something that we should be doing collectively. The Bible knows nothing of individual Christians. And it's something that both happens in our individual lives, but happens in a church. We at St. John's should be working out our salvation with fear and trembling, working out what God wants us to be doing as a body of Christians here in Blackheath, which is, of course, exactly what we have been doing. Now, with that in mind, let's look again at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Makes a bit more sense in that collective context, doesn't it? You see... Paul knew what the early churches were like. And we, of course, know what churches today are like. Christians have a tendency to grumble and argue. And we shouldn't. To be clear, Paul is not saying we should ignore serious disagreements, serious things that are going wrong. When talking to the Corinthians, he says that they should completely shun anyone who calls themselves a Christian but is sexually immoral. He says, don't have anything to do with them. In Galatians, he says that if anyone comes amongst the Galatians proclaiming a gospel that is inconsistent with the gospel that he proclaimed, may that person be cursed. So he doesn't hold back. He's absolutely clear that if there are serious problems of behavior, serious problems uh, of the truth, 
then that shouldn't be brushed under the carpet. But he's not talking about that here at all. That's not the subject. The issue is how we're behaving every day uh, in our lives as we work out our salvation. And we must make sure we do it without grumbling uh, uh, or arguing. Perhaps, perhaps you're doing something in the church, doing a lot in the church, and other people really aren't pulling their weight. Or perhaps you want to do something in the church, but others, irritatingly, don't think it's the right thing to do or don't think you're the right person to do it. Uh, perhaps someone else is doing something in the church and you don't think they're the right person to do it. And perhaps you're right. Perhaps there's a point in all of these things. Yet nonetheless, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, that doesn't mean that we need to remain silent. We can raise and discuss such things appropriately. But when we do so, we have to remember that that goes very quickly onto a slippery slope of grumbling and arguing. And it mustn't. Why? Well, look at what Paul says about the objective of all of this. Again, verse 15. Why? Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Note, the object is not that we become children of God. If we have faith in Christ, we're that already. Take a look at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. If you doubt that, Paul also says it, so does the Apostle John. No, the object is that we become children of God who are blameless and pure and without fault. That's the objective of it. You see, um, if we don't do that, if in our uh, serving of, uh, uh, of God, if in our attempts to work out our salvation, we grumble and argue, then we won't be blameless and pure. But what happens if we do get it right? What happens if we seek to work all this out without grumbling and, uh, uh, and uh, 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 without grumbling and arguing? End of verse 15. Then you will shine among them, that's in the world, like stars in the sky. Uh, the, the Greek translated stars in the sky there could be translated lights in the world. Don't ask, it's a, it's a, a complex translation issue. Actually, it doesn't matter, does it? The, the point being made is quite clear. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's what he says to us. And what's being said is, if we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, without grumbling and arguing... We will shine brightly. If we do that here in St. John's, we will shine brightly in Blackheath. We will be portraying Christ to Blackheath. That's what it's all about. At least we will do that if, verse 16, we hold firmly to the word of life. Did you note Paul is assuming that? It's, it's a condition, as you hold firmly to the word of life. It really is really important we remember that. You see, we can spend our time 
trying to exclude sin from our lives, seeking to live righteous lives. Uh, We can seek to live as servants of Jesus. Uh, We can do all this without grumbling and arguing. But if we've forgotten the gospel, the word of life, then it's all pointless. We'll end up like the Pharisees. We'll be going in the wrong direction. They sought to exclude sin from their lives. They sought to live righteous lives. They sought uh, to serve God. Didn't do much good, did it? Because we need to hang on to the gospel. But if we do hang on to the gospel, then we'll achieve all that Paul is talking about here. Actually, a a, a great explanation of this is given by John. This is 1 John 2.24. See that you have well, sorry, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. That's the same point about uh, uh, holding firmly to the word of life. See that the gospel remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us: eternal life. That's what it's all about at the end, isn't it? Now, I could finish there, but there's just one other thing to say coming from this passage. I know that what I've said this evening is at a very high level of generality. I haven't plunged down into real details of everyday situations. And the reason I haven't done that is simple. If I did that, probably a few of you would say, gosh, that really was exactly what's happening in my life. And the majority of you would think, well, that had nothing to do with me. Because you see, we all of us need to think it through in small groups, in uh, privately by ourselves, perhaps afterwards, immediately after the service. We need to help one another, of course, in doing this. And there are various ways we can go about doing it, but there's one particular thing that I would commend to you, and that is to look for examples of people who have done it well. Now, those examples might be people in this church. They might be people who in the past have been in the church or people who are in the church at the moment. I'm not going to embarrass anyone by pulling them out as a shining example of this. But I suspect if we think about it, we can think of who we're talking about. They may not be prominent in the church. The issue is not prominence or or worldly demonstrations of excellence It's all about working out our salvation. We need to think about them and and follow their example. Uh, Equally, we can look for examples in the Bible. An awful lot is written in the Bible by way of example to us. And in this passage today, and by the way, this is my only reference to the second half of the passage, in this passage today, we've got the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. When you get home, just read that bit of the passage again and think about how they were doing what Paul said. And of course you could think about what Paul himself did about it. In fact, why don't you when you get home read the whole of chapters 1 and 2 straight through and ask the question, how was Paul taking his own advice about this? What was he doing? And then of course we shouldn't forget the biggest example of all. Jesus, commended as an example in a specific situation in verses uh, 5 through 11. But obviously our objective is not just to think and have the same attitudes uh, as as Christ, but to do everything in a Christ-like manner.
In closing, let's just go back to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If you remember nothing else about this evening, remember that. Actually, I do suggest you memorise it. I did when I first read it, I think 43 years ago, and it's remained with me ever since. It should remain with all of us. Amen.